Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Paranormal Dimensions is a regular feature on Mondays on the Paranormal UK radio network. This is Nick Pope, and you're listening to the Paranormal UK Radio Network, the UK's biggest paranormal network. And this is Paranormal Dimensions with David Young. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you for that intro, Nick. Okay, well, today's guest is Philip Kinsella a good friend of mine, and uh, Philip's got a new book coming out uh, later this year. Now, Philip is the author of several UFO and spiritual books and has written countless articles surrounding UFOs, consciousness, and the afterlife. He began his investigations after an alien abduction that he experienced back in the winter of 1989 and has spent the rest of his years exploring alternate theories surrounding both UFOs and alien contact as well as psychic phenomena. His new book, due out later this year, is called You, the Public Deceived, The Grand UFO Deception. Now, on the back of the book, it says, You have been lied to. UFOs are real and not some figment of the public's imagination, which we have been led to believe. This deception has gone on for far too long, and it's time we, the public deceived, fight back. Philip Kinsella brings together several theoretical applications concerning what the UFO phenomena may represent. Exploring his own alien abduction, which occurred in the winter of 1989, and examining both old and new cases alike, he draws upon several conclusions as to what we may be up against. He informs us that we are dealing with something which appears to operate on a higher level of conscious awareness, and that a certain species known as the greys has given us a variety of clues as to what they are, along with their modus operandi. 
He also informs us that the media machine has deliberately orchestrated this covering up to dumb down the messes in an effort to falsify the UFO phenomenon. Our human history, genesis and sole purpose as humans has been deliberately tampered with by nameless, faceless bureaucrats whose time is running out. We the public have a right to the truth. The evidence presented within this book clearly demonstrates that the phenomenon at hand is more complex than we first imagined. Therefore, a new perspective within our awareness might answer some truly extraordinary claims. We are not alone, never have been. The war for truth is as strong now as it has ever been, been before, and Philip believes that the Greys offer us clues as to not only their reality, but ours also. So, let me welcome to the show, Philip Kinsella. Hello, welcome to the show, Philip Kinsella. Hello, David. How Hello. are you? Lovely welcome to be to back the... on your show again. Thank oh, you. It's, so... it's fantastic to have you on, Philip, and thank you so much for finding the time to come on in these troubled times and uh, all being stuck at home. And uh, but I know you're very busy anyway. With uh, I think you're writing another couple of books when you have just got this other one coming out. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm. Um, I'm currently working on Guardians of the Dead. And this is a project that I uh, had outlined uh, previous to you, the public, deceive the grand UFO deception. And and um, when I I sent an offer to Philip Mantle, uh, the author and researcher and UFO royalty, um, with regards to an outline of the new UFO book, he he um, took it, and so I worked on that um, for about. 13 months I think it was that was completed and then I went back on to Guardians of the Dead so Guardians of the Dead is not a UFO book Guardians of the Dead deals with the the more of the psychic um, aspects of uh, um, of that kind of uh, phenomenon and uh, the only psychic book that I wrote all the others have been UFOs but the, the only one that I wrote that was published was Reaching for the Divine and I think Kappelban Publishing brought that out back in 2007 I believe it was hmm. yeah did you have the other one a passage through eternity a passage through eternity the enigma of the dead that is that's not the one you're talking about is it no no there was another there was uh, there was um, reaching for the divine that came out in 2007 uh, the publishers brought out believe which is bridging the gap between the psychic and UFO phenomenon that was in 2009. Then, of course, I wrote Sky Crash Throughout Time that was co-authored with Brenda Butler. That came out in 2013. And, of course, there was a little bit of a gap because I was putting material together yeah. for uh, Passage to Eternity. And that that was uh, that's kind of like psychic and UFO related. So because I, I believe that we're dealing with a phenomenon that is most people try to pigeonhole into a box as a physical matter. But I believe that through our understanding of of what goes on, i.e. in an abduction or any any most of the communications that's done by, you know, aliens, as we call them, um, does see, appear to have some kind of psychic construct linked to it, um, especially with the viewing of UFOs. And um, that's something that's very interesting as well that I found uh, where people have moments of um, uh, kind of like they, they don't. They feel like they've lost time um, or when they're in the presence of UFO that happened with me and my twin brother, Ronald, the artist and author, mm. uh, where we had seen uh, three on one of the occasions. We'd seen three of the UFOs that came on the 9th of April 2016 at quarter past 11 at night. And that was an incredible 
experience and have been actually witnessed by many other people. And my niece had filmed them um, in a neighboring village and was trying to contact me to tell me that they were on their way uh, as if we're <laughs> having a visit from extraterrestrials, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, up close and personal. But it literally was up, up close and personal when the three crafts had remained stationary over our our house here in Kempston, Bedfordshire. And, and that was an incredible moment. And, and that also denoted a time of uh, high strangeness where when my brother and I were viewing the, the, the objects from outside the car when we'd exited the car because we'd come back from some friends, very clear night, very cold night. But these objects were huge. I mean, they were literally massive and uh, three uh, circular lights in a triangular formation. And um, there, you could, there was no one around. There was no sound. Ronnie said it sounded like, you know, when it's just snowed and then you get that feeling of like quietness. Yes. Yeah. It's the feeling that that was present. We didn't lose any time. We checked our watches, but um, that definitely does occur um, because when you've you've had f um, an experience of that kind, then you understand what people are trying to explain as if these objects or these crafts are able to distort the very reality around you. And that's why in some instances you can have two people and one person won't see them and the other one will. Yeah, this is what I mean, we were at your house, weren't we, last year? In the summer, it was lovely sitting at the back and you were describing this, uh, these ships coming over. And yeah. it's, it's hard to actually imagine that you're the only ones that can see these things when you're sort of sitting in your garden, you know. And it, yeah. it's, it's very hard, I think, for people to imagine that or... or or, or envision it, isn't it, Philip? Yeah, well, thank God that my niece, Charlie, I mean, she deals with all of my functions and everything. She actually filmed them on her mobile phone when they had been on their way. Now, what was interesting was that Jason Gleaves, the author and um, UFO investigator, mm. he does a lot of, as you know, analysis of UFOs. As soon as these images came to light, because my niece had them, she showed me them, she stored them on her computer, then she couldn't find them. And when... Um, some years later, a few years later, she did find, found, find them. And of course, you, like us, you and many other uh, good people were very honest. I sent them immediately online to show people. And Jason Gleaves then took the images and, and thank goodness he did and analyzed them. And they are of what we would call unknown objects. Um, and uh, so but what people have to realize is that the objects that, are, that are, do appear um, in the new book, uh, uh, You the Public Deceived, there are images of, the, of them in there. They were the images that was taken by my niece. Now, when they had presented themselves to my brother and myself, they were extremely large and low. And I had my mobile phone in my man bag at the time. And when my brother and I had exited the car, um, and this was round about quarter past 11 at night, my man bag started to buzz. So I had a choice. Do I take the phone out of the bag, set it up to take pictures, or do I watch what's happening above me? Yeah. I chose to watch what was above me because I thought if I take my eyes off those objects, they might disappear. And this is a normal trait with people that say, oh, let me go and grab a pair of binoculars or a camera. And then they go. And, and, and this is the argument. Most people say, well, why didn't we take a film of it? Well, mm. if, when you're in that situation, David, when you are in that, um, when that's occurring, your mind is a, is so shocked. You know, people expect afterwards to say you should have done this and you should have done that. Um, but at, in that moment, 
you're so shocked and awed by what you're looking at and sometimes a little bit frightened yeah. uh, that you daren't move. They, you know, this, this is what makes me laugh about people saying, well, you, you didn't get a film of it. Well, maybe no, um, that wasn't meant to be. So I'm not really interested whether people believe or not. It's a personal experience. Well, the thing is, I know you and I know that you're not the type of person to make something like that up. You oh, know? God. And... And I know Ronnie too, and he's not the type of person to make that up. You know, no. you're just not that type of person. You know, no. And, no. and I think I think you, that you can tell that with certain people, can't you? That uh, you once you know them, you you know that they're just not that type of person. Yeah, I mean, I could have, I, we could have both, uh, you know, dramatised it and said we were taking up an exam, and nothing, nothing of that that the like happened. Not that you it know was, of, anyway. It, yeah, it was just very bizarre. And I think I, I, I did question myself and say, why does this keep happening for mm. my brother and my? Why do we do we keep seeing them what, every three or four years or so? Why does this keep happening? And and it's very frustrating because it's like trying to chase shadows. Uh, you know, you're us researchers like yourself and many other uh, good folk who see these things and have these experiences, you're still left scratching your head because nothing's really revealed to you. It's, mm. it's all very symbolic. And um, through the uh, visual observation of these apparent objects, I had one person coming forward who said all oh, that what you were seeing were stars. And I, I laughed and thought, <sighs> if you had been there, mate, you would have seen that these objects were not stars. Yeah. I think I'm I'm above board not to go around chasing stars, for goodness sake. And I did have um, a chap come and see me for a reading soon after the event. And when I'd finished the reading with him, he proceeded to pull out a photograph um, from an envelope. And he said, I, I want you to have this. And these were the same objects that had been photographed on the same night, but from another angle and a, a much higher perspective that um, he had taken of these objects. And uh, but the, this this experience that happened on the 9th of April 2016 uh, did not make the news. It didn't make the radio. Um, there were quite a number of witnesses to it. Um, and the next day after the initial event on the 10th of April, um, we had a um, helicopter come over our house very, very low. And when my brother and I had gone out into the garden, um, we could see the pilots. It was that low. And they placed, they'd positioned the helicopter so that we could see the pilots as it circled around the house three times, making an enormous racket mm. before it went off. And there's no conspiracy there. But what I think may have happened is that if there are certain authorities that knew that these objects had been seen, and it's very strange that the helicopter had come to our location right over our house, that, you know, people get confused with dates sometimes. My brother and I don't now. Um, but like, take Roswell, for instance. They're not sure whether or not it crashed on the the 4th, 5th, 6th or 7th of uh, Ju um, uh, July in 1947. Yeah, I hadn't realised that there was that confusion. I, I noticed that earlier, yeah. There again, you see, in years to come, people will say, oh, do you remember that, that those objects we yeah. saw? And someone will say, oh, you mean the helicopter? Oh, that was it, yeah. So, you see, I think there's a... I, without using the word conspiracy, I think that there are other forces um, who are aware of what's going on, but they themselves are being told by someone to go and do this, but they don't know why they're doing it. They've just been told to go and do it. Mm. So 
it's it's very bizarre, but that's one of the um, incidents that I wanted to report and record within the new UFO book, You the Public Deceive, that's due out later this year, I believe. Yeah, so I think you said about October, didn't you? I think I think it's around about uh, um, August, September, October. I'm not. Philip Mantle has to decide when it's released. It's all ready to go on Kindle and paperback, but of course, because of the uh, tragic events that's been occurring at the moment, um, they've had to hold back, like many other people, because you know, not not only the essentials are selling at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's. Um, I, I know the book's full of uh, Ronald's lovely artwork, isn't it? Uh, he's got some amazing pictures that he does, and uh, yeah, we've got to give him credit for that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't have to go far for an artist. I mean, yeah, exactly. He's fantastic, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> so he he's done most of the art uh, other than the photographs and the uh, the other some of the other drawings that were um, sourced and uh, loaned to me um, by many other researchers. And I have to say, I'm so grateful to you also, David, because your contribution is in there as well. Um, with regards to your thoughts and I'm um, very honoured to, to actually have that little uh, bit in there, thank you Philip for <laughs> putting it in there <laughs> oh that's fine, but you know I wanted to write this book, You the Public Deceived, The Grand UFO Deception um, and not in most people will think, oh it's a book that debunks UFOs, in fact it's, mm. it's the opposite um, and although my name Philip K um, is very near to the debunker uh, Philip Class. I am I am no way associated with him. Um, I know he book, wrote a book called The Public Deceived, but I, I didn't even realise that when I wrote the book. But literally, a lot of researchers, um, yourself, um, Philip Mantle, Chris Evers, Sasha Christie, um, there's Kathleen Marden. She's been an incredible um, help to my, my brother and myself. Um, and also Terry Lovelace, Earl Anderson. Now, there's a, I won't give too much away, but there's a very incredible story in there about Earl Anderson and also the links with his mother, um, who had connect, who was connected with Howard Hughes, the billionaire. Um, and, and so it, it was, I wanted to bring together uh, and also the Pascagoula um, UFO account, yes, yeah. Philip Mental was very instrumental in, in helping me with all of this. So Philip um, Mental has been a, a great, has always been a great inspiration to me. And I was reading his book when I was younger. So I, I never would have believed that all these years later that, you know, that we would connect in this way and my brother and the art as well. I mean, you know, um, sometimes there is something that's occurred or an event within ufology and you've got no way of expressing it. So I just say to Ronnie, I say, Ronnie, can you cook me up something? Um, not, so, not a sausage pie, or think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so it's really handy to have a, another uh, part of myself. Yeah. Uh, my team. And he's got a book coming out uh, later this year, um, which is uh, uh, deals with the uh, digital demon. It's called the digital demon. It's mm. uh, semi-autobiographical, so people will be able to find out about what life was like for me and my twin in our early years. Quite funny and fascinating, um, but also a little bit tragic. But you know, and he that will, leads up. As I say, he also interrupts. He will be on the show later on this year as well, Ronald. To uh... yeah, well, let him talk about that. But certainly, the book, the you, the public deceived, the grandeur of deception. I wanted to illustrate to the general public the good public that we are being deceived and and what's really annoying on a personal level is that when you've 
talent interaction with these crafts. You know, it's all very well to write someone off as a nut or mm. don't talk about it or you saw this. But when you've actually had the experience and then you find that many other fine people have also credible uh, fine people have also had their experiences. You know, my argument was, why? Why are we being lied to? Why is the system we serve so against the the idea of UFO research? And this is this is one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, because there's got to be a reason why. And, and this is why I, I wanted to write You, the Public Deceived. Right. And I think my, my little in, uh, insert in the book was, uh, I think it began at Roswell, didn't it, for the, 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 the grand cover-up? Oh, yes, absolutely. And also the birth of uh, conspiracy theory, because I believe that what happened was that when this... Uh, unknown object had uh, crashed the we argue my brother and i argue um you know in a very constructive way we're not arguing like as in a, a normal argument we bash ideas around mm. but one of the the, the the things that we've both uh, suggested is that you know if the military um roswell army airbase and the military at that time had known that this was a mogul weather balloon an experimental one why the heck weren't they tracking it? Yeah. I mean, if you had a top secret um, device that you were going to go out and, uh, and, and allowed to see how it worked, you would, if it was that top secret, be analysing and watching it. Sure. And the, the army didn't know anything about this until no. Matt Bezel, uh found shards to pieces of it, uh, which had obviously impacted the Earth before it crashed f further away. Um, and also... If it's that top secret, and this is the thing that really makes me laugh, they had a picture of Major Jesse Marcel um, when he'd actually been involved with the case um, to show the newspapers this apparent uh, mogul weather balloon. And while they took that picture of him with all the very famous picture of him uh, kneeling with all the shards of bits of, you know, material, you know, that is top secret and you're yeah. photographing for other people to see. So although it's it's rubble and rubbish, um, you know, if something's top secret, you wouldn't reveal it to the world. So we know at that point there was a conspiracy of silence. But what we wanted to find out was why there was a conspiracy, because, you know, at that point in time, there was every opportunity to announce to the world that there are such things as extraterrestrials. Yeah. Well, they did, actually, didn't they? The, the, there was a news report that came out the day before, and then the day after, it was just shut, all, everything was shut down Absolutely. on it. This, this is the argument, uh, one of the arguments in the book as well, any one of the small arguments. You know, if the army um, were that stupid, and I'm sorry to say this, to mistake the object for um, a weather balloon as opposed to a flying disc, yeah. then they they ought to have gone to spec savers because we're dealing <laughs> <laughs> we're dealing with American men who, as trained soldiers, they are trained in observation. They know what they're looking at. They know what's right, what's wrong. Well, in fact, I mean, it was an atomic base, wasn't it? Uh, you know. Well, that's yeah. So this is this was the uh, inception of so-called conspiracy. And as you and I know, David, the word conspiracy theory is a psychological weapon used to turn the finger of doubt upon the inquiring mind. Yeah. And it's worked brilliant. It's worked brilliantly um, for for much of of, uh, you know, the things that go on in the world, not just ufology or anything like that, but many things where they say, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And just, automatically, make, just immediately makes you sound like a nutcase. Yeah. 
Exactly. You've got it. And of course, or, unst- or psychological. It's not, it's a kind word of saying, you know, that person is stupid or they, they believe in all sorts of rubbish. So basically they've, they've created a word which is, um, you know, skirts around the borders with regards to madness or obsession, basically. Hmm, definitely. I mean, the thing was, all they, they were as surprised as anybody when when he turned up into town with this piece of a uh, um, craft that had, had crashed, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. So you know what? If it was so yeah. top secret, why were they so, so surprised that he turned up with it? You know. Exactly, and these are the inconsistencies that have to be addressed. And no matter how many times the researcher or an author or uh, any brilliant person on the case, you know, I don't care if you're you're, you're someone that's uh, got a day job. You, those people must be given credit because they're looking into something that's phenomenal. Mm. But every single time, we always come to a brick wall. We never seem to be able to pierce that veil of untruths to find the truths. And and I think, to be honest with you, um, that Roswell as no, David, and I think every single person that knows about ufology um, is aware of is that, you, that the Roswell case was the um, the birthing was the most famous case of all time, and of course it will lead to many other speculative theories or um, you know what other people thought had happened. So it's interesting to see how how it's morphed through the years, and, and now that we've got camera technology. Um, it's easier for people. And I'm not talking about the fakes or the frauds or the CGI rubbish. And this is mm. another thing that really annoys me when you get um, people posting up all sorts of rubbish. And, and for the ardent researcher, it is it is a bit of a nightmare yeah, because you think, well, you know, what what is this? You know, and, 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 and I know a lot of people do it for fun or for monetary gain um, or for fame. But like you, my brother, myself, and many other of the esteemed minds that we are connected with, we are only in this for the truth. And I've said this before, even if that truth turns out to be something quite different from what we expected, I will embrace that. But, you know, at this moment in time, we are still no nearer since Roswell's inception in just exactly explaining what these things are. Mm, exactly. I mean, I know you've written some books, but you don't make a fortune out of these books, do you? You're, you're, the most important <laughs> thing for you is actually getting the truth out there. Yeah, absolutely. this is another thing that really uh, riles my brother and myself, and I think in many other authors or researchers, I mean, with any field of the power, with any field within the paranormal, is that people say, oh, you're in it for the money. And I, I, I have to double take. I have to mm. stop. For a moment. And I, I'd, I'd like to say to them, well, you know, I'm not going to get personal here. But if you'd like to see how much money I have actually made from the sale of my book, <laughs> yeah. I think you'd be quite shocked. But no, literally, it's a drive. It's a passion. And, you know, it the money doesn't worry me. The, mo- the money doesn't bother me. What really bothers me is is the systematic lies um, that's been included by a system that we serve. Mm. And also going back to the selling of books, it, it does make me smile. And I've got to say this, David, on radio. I have to say this. No one, and my brother brought this out absolutely admirably, and he couldn't say it any better. No one worries about a footballer, hmm. m- most of the t- footballers, earning about £7,500 per hour. Or do they moan about Ronald this rushing out to go and buy the latest, uh, you know, top and shorts and trainers but the moment someone comes forward uh anything that's related to paranormal or ufology 
they're criticized. Oh, you're in it for the money. Well, someone said to me once, they said, you know, you're only doing it because you write your books and you make money from your books. Um, and I, I, I turn around and I'd say to them, well, first of all, um, isn't everything in the world you have to buy? I mean, you know, mm. no one complains about some of the top authors with their thriller books. No one questions it. No. Uh, but I mean, is... what, what you got? To, I think a lot of people don't actually take into consideration the, sometimes the money you can spend investigating something, <laughs> you know, yeah. travelling around, and uh, <laughs> you, you barely cover your expenses at the end of the day anyway. No, well, do you know what? It's the passion and the drive. We, we, we're normal, more times than not scraping the barrel. But I enjoy that, and I love what I do. And I think with my brother and many of the other wonderful uh, researchers, authors, uh, you know, wonderful uh, people. Uh, Terry Lovelace is a, another fine guy. Um, he, of course, as you know, was involved in the Devil's Den incident. Yeah, he was on last week's show, actually. And he's yeah, he he contacted me to say thank you to us for to to getting in touch with you and so on and so forth. But he's a great guy. You know, he's he's been through this himself. And I think mm. sometimes, uh, you know, you you toughen up a little bit and you you just try to move forward with regards to the negativity, which can hurt. Um, I mean, you know, with with you, the public deceived the grand UFO deception. I wanted to highlight some things in there. Um, and basically, it's not about ego or I'm taking first place. It's about sharing. And thank goodness that we are linked with a group, a massive group of people, yourself included, along with Philip Mental, Chris Evers, um, and many other esteemed minds, even across to our friends in America, around the world, that all link together and we understand one another. So it, it's kind of like a, a Scooby-Doo gang. Um, but in this in this Scooby Doo gang, we're we're working together and we share information. So it's not like oh, I've come up with this theory and it's mine and stamp it. It's about sharing ideas and information. And even if sometimes some of that information can appear slightly away from our normal process of thinking or processing, um, it's important nevertheless because most of our assumptions of what we're dealing with do lie within the annals of theoretical debate. Yeah. And that's something that I love working on, which is theory or theoretical debate. I must just say something funny there. You mentioned ego. You know, I've got a nickname from somebody called Mr. Ego. It's Mr. Ego. <laughs> 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 and I, I mean, I don't consider I'm quite sort of ego at all because, <laughs> yeah, I just no, find it hilarious. <laughs> you know, David, in this life, you know, we all aspire. We all have our hopes, dreams, passions, whatever you want to, whatever department you're, you're interested in. But at the end of the day, it's important for you as the individual to focus your energies on, the, on what you want to do. Yeah. And I have always, always, my brother and I have never, ever, I don't think, ever had an egotistical bit in our bone Absolutely whatsoever. Absolutely not. And I, I can say that for you. Definitely haven't got any ego at all. And, uh, no, I, I mean, I, hope, all, I, I mean, I mean, we've all got a little bit of ego, I suppose. Otherwise, we wouldn't be human, would we? But well, we um, be alike, would we? No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you wouldn't have an identity. <laughs> so, um, you know, w w one of the things that I love is that um, my brother and I are very awed and very honoured to be involved in, as I said before, prestigious minds within this phenomenon, and and that is something that really warms my heart more than anything. Okay, there are some people who um 
you know, they do want to be, they don't want to take top billing. Well, that's fine. But as my mother always says, there's enough room on the planet for everyone. Um, uh, you know, even for extraterrestrials. Yeah, also, the only visits you, you get from these craft, you say they, they happen every few years. You think they could be linked to your, um, your abduction from a few years, well, from what, from when you were younger? What, yeah, are they well, coming back I, to check up on you or something or just keep an eye on you? I don't know. You see, I, I don't claim anything. I mean, I can only report facts. And when I report those facts, even if you if you call them facts, an abduction is not called a fact, is it? But no. from my, my perspective, I still can't get a, um, away from what happened to me in the winter of 1989 when we lived in the village of Marston Mortain. And that, that is illustrated um, in one of the chapters in the book, the beginning of the book, because I wanted to, I'm still to this day trying to work out what happened. Yeah. And, you know, the images uh, of, of what I saw, uh, what I experienced, are as clear within my mind, and I'm not joking here, they're as clear within my mind as though they happened yesterday. And one of the beings... I'd call it a being. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but it was one of the beings that I met or was presented to afterwards that was really angry. I call him Noddy. I mean, <laughs> he, he was <laughs> in terms of the famous British author, Ina Blyton's character, Noddy. And she was the J.K. Rowling of her time, wasn't she? But mm. um, this character, this this being, he, I mean, I know I went through quite a difficult time on on a craft, if that's where I was, and I have to say if, because I don't think any of us will really know, but he scared the crap out of me. And I mean, I, I've, I've never in my life seen animated plastic move, but this guy, uh, and there's uh, Ronald's done some fine illustration, an illustration of him in the book, but he, he really did scare me. And I can still see him... Um, you know, when I when we'd finished our so-called conversation, not there was much of one with us anyway, but um, through me trying to communicate through to him, um, and I can still see him hauntingly within my mind. And you know, David, I drew a, another picture of him that's uh, slightly more um, not as good, sorry, as as my brother's creation that I that I that was shown on TV when I went on a um, a wonderful program for Channel Four. And it was a series called For the Love Of, and they did different programs on there um, for the love of alien abductions, I think it was. Oh. And um, th th it was a lovely chat mm. in London. That was one of the programs I really enjoyed. It's a because, weird title, uh, but there you go. <laughs> yes, it was. And, and I'll make you laugh here because Susan, my good friend Susan, was had come with me at the time and she'd been in the, the room, the green room w watching. And there were these other people waiting to go on for their program. So it's like programs being done back to back. So one of the programs was, I think, For the Love of Grouse, I think it was. And there were these very esteemed people in there. One of them was a sir so-and-so. And sir, what's his name, was looking at the screen as they were recording us in the studio. And he says, what, what's this? What's this all about, this program? And Susan said, it's about alien abductions. And the, the sir, Susan said, looked at me and said, yes, looks like an alien. You've got to have a w wicked sense of humor in this. Otherwise, you know, you just go to pot. But <laughs> I, that sums up the whole thing. But going back to that 1989 incident, um, it's interesting, David, because there were some um, 
events that happened long before that, and they were had been linked to our grandmother, um, Kathleen King. God love her. She she was uh, psychic, and the, we, my brother and I, and and she had witnessed this um, silver uh, orb that had come over one summer's. Uh, Eve afternoon or evening when you're a kid you can't record everything I record everything now good lord I do but mm. uh, it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen but there were there were things that had happened long before that um, because we used to live on the property of Bignall House which is in uh, Bicester um, and my mother used to clean a mansion for Dr Thomas Gregory we were on the grounds to the mansion so we lived in the servants quarters and um uh, Dr. Thomas Gregory, who was a, an eye surgeon, a brilliant eye surgeon, had lived on the, on the, in the mansion with his wife. And they used to have these amazing parties with a lot of, you know, very famous people come and see them. But the actual grounds to that place, I remembered, um, and was very strange in that we had had a few experiences there. As a kid, you tried to formulate or put them together, but you can't quite do it. But that property was created by the ascendants of Sir Francis Drake. And it, it was an enormous place. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea if if they're coming up to check up on us. I think they do that with a lot of what they call abductees. I can only state that I had one abduction, and that was the one in 1989. And people have said, oh, you must have had more. Well, there could have been one more. But as far as my memory is concerned, that is the only main one. Is, and I didn't even realize, David, at that time in 1989, what it was called when it happened. I had no idea mm. that they call them abductions. Yeah, so, so I mean, when you were a child, you, you didn't really have any interest in UFOs, did you? Or, or, or was no. it you were sort of brought up with probably science fiction and things like you know, Star yeah. Trek, etc.? Yeah, and you know, that's the thing that goes against you, because you're interested in science fiction, mm. or you, my brother and I have written children's books, uh, children's novels as well, um, that goes against you, because some of the mainstream media, um, and this, there are some reports that, have, that were in the newspapers that I had included in the book, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll put them in a future book, um, where, you know, we'd seen UFOs before, and they've been reported in the press, pictures of us and some other witnesses, nothing really fantastic to write home about, not not like the ones that w were to happen later. But I really, you know, you, you kind of like, they were always, the press were always derogative. Um, so when they mentioned about anything that had happened to us, um, they would say, but, you know, they write children's books and are interested in science fiction. So I knew how the media kind of like took a slant towards this. Mm. Um, and Philip Mental said something to Ronnie in his interview that he had with him just recently that made absolute sense. Philip Mental said, because sometimes the, 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 the press used to ask you, oh, did you have a drink? But Philip Mental said, no, we hadn't. But Philip Mental said he's never known of one person who was drunk to have seen a UFO. Yeah, that's the usual uh, thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and even if you are drunk, more times than not, you're although you're a little bit all over the place, you're not... Um, you're not you're not uh, delusional. Um, so you're in fact, more times than not, what you get that little bit of being cold and you, you become more, more superhuman, as it were. 
So, you know, I, I understood that a lot of what the press was writing was the usual rubbish and how TV worked. And that was another aspect that I wanted to take within my book to show that there is a systematic cover up um, of monumental proportions um, about the UFO phenomenon. And this is something that we, we need to explore. Are the aliens checking up on me? I have no idea, David. All I can tell you is that many years um, later, after the initial 1989 um, so-called abduction, and I call it so-called abduction because I don't think we really know what to co what to call it, how to term ah. it. Um, yeah, was it a physical a... or was it kind of a mental abduction? You still don't know where to pigeonhole this... that, I presume. Yeah, that's right. This is my argument. This is the theoretical work that I've been involved in for many, many years. But I had I had some physical marks that were left after the 1989 abduction, which were recorded straight afterwards. And they were the three triangular marks on the back of my right ear that, that have gone. The three marks on my right arm that are still there. And I, I couldn't walk very well for obvious reasons. And also I started to suffer uh, intense nosebleeds to the right nostril, right, which was yeah. becoming an embarrassment. Now, what happened was that I'd had problems with my right ear for many, many years. Like when I'm taking a shower, it felt like water was being logged in there. Or if I lay down at night, it was almost like there was something in there. And and I actually felt this, whatever it was, move. It physically moved in my right ear on one particular occasion. I felt it move in because I always thought it was a bit lodged in there. So I took myself to the doctors on two occasions for them to have a look at my ear. On the first occasion that I went, the doctor was looking in that ear for a long time and didn't really say anything. So I didn't feel very happy about that and came away. Well, when I went back to the doctors again and they had another look, this is the event that really does make me smile, David. I went into the doctors, the local doctors, and I had uh, uh, one of the doctors have a look and they used their device to have a look. And they were looking and they were looking and they were looking. And I thought, well, what are they looking at? <laughs> so she said, could you hold on a moment? I need to go and get someone else. At that moment, my stomach dropped because I thought, my God, what have they found? You know, all these things go around your head. If mm. they found something, they like the dreaded word we're not going to use here. So she got someone else and she was having a good old poke around in there. And the, she was saying it. She said it, it has a crystalline structure and it's it looks like it's still healing. Well, I didn't. I didn't know what on earth she was talking about. And, you know, the bizarre thing about this without using the conspiracy here, because I don't think any was intended. But one of the doctors left it at that. And the other one, she sat back. She knows I'm a clairvoyant medium, but she didn't know anything about my interest in UFOs. And she sat back and she said when I was getting ready to go, she said, have you been abducted by aliens? And I felt worse going back to the car than when I got <laughs> into the doctors. Yeah. I know you told me that story a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, that, that actually does point to a physical evidence type of thing, doesn't it? But I'm wondering if there are times when they can actually... There's like a mental kind of abduction, if you see what I yes. mean, It's uh, which, yes. which is a separate thing. Yes, well, if you take the human... I mean, let's take away all of the, the, the normal um, views of what we represent. My idea is that we are part physical, we're part spiritual and without you with using that word very very lightly because as soon as you use the word spiritual people always think that you're wearing a robe and sandals and sitting yeah. under a tree somewhere but there is a part of us which is a soul 
and that is the real essence of what we represent um, on, a, on a humane level, as you would call it. So I believe that, you know, that the greys, because most of my research is linked to the greys, because they're the ones that I feel that I had connected with um, through the abduction in 1989. Um, I was wondering how on earth are they able to abduct someone, you know, because you hear these stories about them coming through walls or you going through walls mm. and doors. And I actually went through the, the doors to my house when the initial abduction was taking place um, uh, when it happened. And one of the things that the theme throughout the abduction, when they'd finished the, uh, the grueling uh, experimentation or whatever they were doing that I won't go into here, but what, when they'd finished doing that, um, when I got to Noddy, um, it'll all be explained in the book and it's explained. When I got to him, I was really angry. He was angry with me and, me and I was really angry with him. Like, you know, he's standing there looking at me really angry. And I thought I wanted to punch this thing mm. and I couldn't move. But I was saying, well, how on earth am I able to get through locked and bolted doors? How am I able to do that? I put this question to him because it's the only sane, rational thing that I could hold on to because I knew that the whole thing was real. It was really happening. And I thought if he could give it to me, I could tell the world. Well, he didn't. And I had to work it out years later. But what I think is happening, David, is that in some instances, I believe that uh, the greys are actually extracting the real you from your physical body. Um, you know, and I believe that they're bringing that into their vibrational frequency. Let's mm. take near death experience, for example, for an example. Someone that dies, their brain dies and they cross over. We've heard of these stories of an NDE. -er. And they express or explain that they're in a real world, that they interact with their loved ones who have died. Communication is, uh, is done through telepathy. And then they come back and it changes them in a good way most of the times. When someone has an abduction, you know, the process that's been instigated with regards to that, uh, you know, seizing of you is done in almost the same way as an NDE, but on a negative level more times than not. So I kind of like thought, well, hang on a minute. What are these greys and, and what are they doing? What, what are they about? And as I started to do a lot more research into them, I came up with a theory, or rather it was given to me in 1996. I had uh, a moment of revelation. I suppose you would call it a download, uh, which explained a small aspect of what the greys were. And I was more interested in how the greys were able to uh, go about what they're doing on what the greys were about. So this eventually led to me um, formulating a hypothesis that the greys, most of them, can actually extract the real essence of you from your physical vehicle. They take it into their dimension of reality. And Ronnie's explained also that perhaps the reason there is timelessness is because we have been taken out of our normal processing, conscious processing of time or this physical realm. And as you, you're the sole part of you connects with them like an NDA, you are physically interacting with you and whatever they do to you will in inevitably affect the physical body. Um, it's no different from a healer healing someone from a distance and that body being affected through this uh, ethereal form of healing. So this kind of like led me into more uh, research and areas of what the greys were, what they represented. And I came up with some disturbing um, 
you know, theoretical ideas about what they could be. Now, I know that within ufology, you'll get some people who are dead against any other idea other than being from another planet. I'm, I don't doubt that. I'm not arguing about that. You know, we are physical, we are non-physical. As we understand it, when we die, mm. our soul transgresses this plane of reality and returns back to source. And I always explain to people that consciousness works like um, the signal to your TV set or indeed through your mobile phone. You've got the physical apparatus and you've got the wave of information that's coming in. The physical apparatus is only a device to collect all of the information into a coherent order that we can understand. So as a physical human body, the consciousness or the soul is working through us and recording all of our experiences from birth to death. And when we die, the vehicle is no longer used, it's finished, but the soul or the, the consciousness of that person returns back to a source and obviously maybe downloads all of its information to the one and it learns more about itself. But when I was drawing emphasis upon the greys, they interested me, David. And do you want me to explain my interest in Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yes, please. Yeah. Well, the greys, as we understand, cannot reproduce. They appear to be clones, um, uh, you know, because they, they don't seem to understand anything about color, love, taste, time, the very essence of what makes us what we are. Now, you and I and everyone on this planet, hopefully, uh, comes through a process of... Um, birthing the birthing cycle so we're brought into a womb of some kind and then we come through the channel and we grow and we live and i believe that um that is the sacred connection between the divine because as humans as we understand it we can incarnate and reincarnate mm. now i'm not going to go into the process of reincarnation here because that's a really heavy subject and very debatable but it made sense to me that as humans you know, it's important for us to come through the birthing cycle. The greys could not, because if they cannot themselves reproduce, what does that make them? And the greys come across as very prosaic in nature. They're a blank canvas. They, they, they just appear like they're just blank. Mm. And what what how, how do they come into being? Do you think, though? I mean, we don't know. well, we don't know. That that's one of the things that we're still looking towards. Uh, but remember, this is just theoretical debate. And mm. I, you know, I've had people saying. Oh, you're wrong. Well, yes, maybe I am wrong. But, you know, give me a chance to, yeah, to bring well. a piece of the puzzle together. So with regards to the greys, what are they interested in? They are interested in reproduction. Yes, I'm absolutely convinced they're also involved. They're interested in DNA or the parts of what make us what we are. But they're interested in reproduction. And I was quite curious about this, thinking, well, why would a species that cannot reproduce suddenly be interested in the species that can. And why are the greys creating what we call a hybridization uh, program, where they're creating these hybrids? Now, uh, granted, um, you know, you have to take your mind a little bit further and out of its comfort zone when you're dealing with the subject of UFOs, because most people prefer to stay within the nuts and bolts aspects of it. But we have to get a little, feel a little bit uncomfortable by stepping outside of that comfort zone in order to understand and address certain issues mm. that we as of yet don't understand. Now, why are the greys interested in reproduction if they themselves cannot reproduce? And this is what led me further into the research of what the greys probably, perhaps, I'm not stating this as fact, are doing. 
And I think it's got something to do with the soul. And I think it's got something to do with identity and, and something to do with the birthing cycle. Now, I did meet the esteemed um, Dr. Um, David Jacobs uh, in Arizona some years ago now. And we had a little chat um, around a dinner table um, one, through, the, through the week's conference. And I've read his work and he believes that they're here with us already. And I don't doubt that. I, I respect his research. In fact, as I said before, I respect every researcher's research. I'm, I'm not one to say, oh, that's wrong or that's right. Mm. I have no right to say that because we just don't know. But is it possible? And if I give you an example here, David, of you, you have come through the normal process of reproduction. You have been born, you've been brought into your mother's womb, and you've, you've brought, been through, brought through the correct channel. You grow, you develop, you have your, um, you know, your, your learning, your skills, your personality, your unique identity. And when you die, um, you will take the memories, the experiences, and your identity back to the other side. But let's say I cloned you. David, let's say I physically cloned you a hundred times. Now, you as the original copy, I believe, or theoretically assume, will go back to source, to the other side when you die. Mm. Because your clones will only have one imprint of one physical life, to my mind, um, determines them to be outside the field of creation, i.e. they won't be able to go back where you've gone, because they have a single imprint. Now, let's take this one step further. Let's suppose that that spark or that energy of you that they have, only a tiny part of it, that small imprint, when they die and that imprint, that very small sense of of knowing, can't get back to where you're going to, what if the millions of these intelligences, as I call, with one imprint mind, have gravitated to form a one mind hive consciousness? And what do the greys work as? One hive mind. And as that one hive mind, they are powerful enough, and they found a world to interact and integrate themselves into our realm. They also could come across as like spectres, as though um, you know, they, they, they seem to be from some other dimension. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're able to sometimes bring, uh, Ronald said this before, and I've known this before, that they sometimes can bring uh, the abductees' dead relatives on board, you know? I mean, what is that saying? Mm. Uh, and, and it's almost as if the greys are not only interested within hybridization, creating a, a new genus, which is very weakly, uh, very pathetic looking, really, through all the accounts that we've read, but it could be possible that one of those greys or millions of them are performing this program in order to ingest a part or spark of their knowing, their one imprint, into that, uh, that uh, you know, hybrid and growing through it, within it, as a container. And then when that hybrid dies, they probably hope to be propelled back into the field of creation. Now, there are other theories here, um, and I respect that. Um, could the greys be our creators? We just don't know. I mean, you know, they, they, they could very well be our creators. They may have been responsible in some form of creation process that oversees the construction of mankind. And maybe they want to create a new uh, genus because this one's had it. I mean, if we look at the earth, <laughs> not doing very well yeah, at the moment. We yeah. <laughs> so there, there are many theories, and I don't mm. doubt that, like us, we are explorers, that we will go to other planets, other universes in the physical sense. But there's also another aspect to our to our 
us, which unfortunately the system has tried to squash and say, no, it's not real. Clairvoyance is not real. UFOs are not real. In fact, anything that it does not go along with the, um, the, the official narrative is not real. But when you start having experiences and when you start researching yourself, you begin to try to put the pieces together of this very intricate and, and uh, complex puzzle. So, you know, in a nutshell, I believe there's more to the greys than just spacemen. I, I understand and I believe also, David, that the Betty Barney Hill case is a separate um, case to my theoretical work because that actually happened to them. But Betty and Barney also um, relieved, uh, reveal, revealed their dream, uh, their experience through dream state. Mm. And that's another fascinating aspect, isn't it? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of these things you cover in the book, don't you? Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a history of ufology, isn't it, the book, in some ways? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to draw upon some some famous cases and some not so, because I believe that every case is important, whether it's famous or not. Um, and they are legitimate cases. I, you know, there is a few shady people who have passed over now back in the, uh, the 50s that presented themselves to the public. And I wanted to address in a very kindly way of of suddenly how these uh, contactees uh, suddenly appeared um, but we never saw Neil, Neil Geddes Ward, the artist and author, makes me laugh when he said, well, we never saw the buggers, you know, <laughs> we, never, we never saw the aliens. They were talking about all these love and light beings, human humanoid beings, but we never saw them. They never made an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> so and then all of a sudden they disappeared and, and we're back where we started. And if we go back to Roswell, um, we know that from the Roswell crash that there were entities that were seen that had been recovered from the crash that mirror the very same entities that many people see through an abduction today. Sure. So I, you know, were we hoodwinked into the belief that these contactees were brought forward to muddy the waters? We don't know. I'm, I'm sure that most of them have their eye, their eye in the old pocket and the money-making business. Um, but you just don't know, do we? Uh, I mean, like going on from that, we, we ended up with the alien autopsy, didn't we? The, the fake alien autopsy, which you also cover yes. in the book a little bit. Um, yes, absolutely. Because that is someone wanting to make money out of it. And uh, we're not talking about Spiros here. We're talking about, you know, because I, th I think he yeah. was dragged into it and sort of uh, fooled, wasn't he, into... Yes, Spiros is an amazing guy. My brother and I love him so yeah, much. He's a, he's a lovely he's guy. A very guy. And yes, the book explains about that. And Philip Mental is the, as we said, you know, he's the um, UFO royalty. Um, he he was involved in that in in a very big way as well with regards to the re revelations of what was going on. And that was another nail in the in the well, coffin. Philip was fooled we... as well, wasn't he? Because he wrote a book on it, thinking it was all real and everything. Yes, that's right. Well, we know that it wasn't because, you know, I've, uh, I had a lot of material sent from Philip and Spiros allowed me to use uh, much of all of his material where I could um, for the, the piece in the book. Um, but of course, that was the, the nail in the coffin for ardent UFO researchers, because, you know, once it was all built up and then it was all dropped. And how would that psychologically affect the people um, who were trying to, you know, the true researchers saying UFOs are real and then egg on their face when this alien autopsy turned out to be um, not real? Yeah. And make a lot of people look foolish and embarrassed. And even I know there was another very famous UFO researcher an American one who um, uh, he's passed over now, sadly, 
um, Wendell Stevens, who I remembered watching on TV, was was shown this image and he believed it to be true. Yeah. And you, you can't knock the guy because at that point in time, there was so much hype and so much interest in it that, you know, you know, if someone sat me in a room and told me under pressure, you know, look at this. And I, I would I would not know what to think at that particular mm. point in time because you'd need time to digest and research. Yeah. So, yeah, he you know, thought it was the exact same image, didn't he? And um, yeah. it couldn't have been. <laughs> no, that's right. And at the end of the day, you know, that that is a story. Thankfully, has been brought out as a fake because I my brother and I saw that when it first came out. And I remembered watching it and I thought that's a load of rubbish. It looks it looks authentic. But the only thing, and I'm an amateur, I'm afraid, when it comes to filmology, I, I've got no idea or special effects. But you kind of like knew when you saw it because the, it, the procedure was quite quick. Mm. I mean, you know, taking the lens out of the eyes. If you had no foreknowledge of of where those lenses, if those lenses had been there, how would you know they were there? Yeah. I mean, and and also the uh, the, the one thing that um, it was very impressive, and I've got to tell you now. It it did fool me because I there were well, questions. I'll admit it. I was fooled. I I, I thought it was real. So and Spiros created the uh, the most famous illusion of all time. The brilliant Spiros himself, you know, hats off to him. Love him. Yeah. You know, and he was disillusioned. He didn't realise what was really going on with all of this. Um, and and he became annoyed, didn't he, with the fact that uh, someone was making a lot yeah. of money from it? Well, absolutely. I mean, I've just only found out recently. It cost him a hundred thousand pounds. He lost out of that. In fact, probably yeah. more than that. Yeah. So you can see that you know there are there are certain shady characters who are in it for the money. Uh, certainly not the type of money that you and I will probably ever see, no. David. I mean, you know, um, this the guy who was behind it. <clears throat> I mean the the uh, the actual whole autopsy thing um, was in it for the money. It was a music well, it still is actually. Or... They've just but they've... Oh. <laughs> I think there's still people out there that do believe it's still genuine, don't they? Or well, they do, and it's like anything, I suppose. You know, they 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 don't want anyone to steal their thunder. But again, it goes back to Roswell, and I think that Roswell, you know, because now it's 1947, we're here now. And it's I think Roswell's buried so deep now that no one will ever really be able to um, dig anything else up other than theory. And that's all that we have. But I will tell you, um, I do believe in uh, the original testimony of the individuals that have been involved um, within the case and the circumstances surrounding the case when the story came out. And I think the best way to do any research is to look at what actually happened just around the time of the so-called crash. Because um, Stanton Friedman believed there were two crashes, didn't he? Yes, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we have Dr. Arena Scott. Um, she's been a, a great inspiration to me as well. And, and she's she's um, helped a lot uh, with regards to ideas concerning the UFOs. And, of course, she know she's actually she knows that there were more crashes and some before Roswell and that's the frightening thing that you know there there were perhaps other crashes uh, probably elsewhere in the world so where the Roswell UFO crash occurred I believe that for them the army unit there at Roswell this is the first time that they had to actually deal there with a rec full recovery and that's why they probably were a little bit sloppy because 
you know, hats off to them also. They were only doing their job, most of them men. Um, they didn't know what to do. So um, and now, of course, there is a, obviously a, a protocol to follow in the event of a UFO crashing and what i.e. the fire brigade or the military are to do in the subsequent event of a craft crashing. Because mm. I, I, I imagine there's, well, I, I know there's a few others around the world, aren't there, that uh, these crashes. I think there's been one in Russia uh, and there's probably been a few others that we probably don't get to hear about. Yeah, I mean, I I was in touch with um, uh, one researcher and uh, he at the time was uh, this was Tony Dodd. And he at the time was investigating a UFO crash that happened somewhere out in uh, one of the deserts in South Africa. Mm. And so we are aware that um, there are uh, UFO crashes most of the time. People say, well, why don't they crash in in a city or a town? Well, that is very interesting, but from from that from that perspective, I sometimes suspect whether or not they've actually crashed or they've deliberately been brought down. Yeah. Because my made a very important um, point with regards to that um, in his work. You know, they I think that the military or the secret military elite, as it were, I'm not talking about our good men. You know all over the world in America and England and all our armed forces. They're good men, good guys, good ladies as well. You know, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the higher echelons within the military establishments. They probably know how to bring them down. Um, so I think they would make sure that they would bring that craft sure. down somewhere. Yeah. That was isolated and easy, easy to become accessible for them. Yeah. I mean, even if you get, a, unfortunately, if you get a, an airline crash, they're normally uh, in some remote area anyway, aren't they? They don't crash into cities usually. Um, no, that's right. And, that, and normally, you know, my, that's another thing. My brother loves all of those, uh, those, not for, you know, not in a detrimental way, but my brother is very fascinated by a lot of the aircraft crashes that occur. And in all of them, in every single one of them, nearly all of them, I'd say about 98% of the time, the pilot will do everything within their power. Even if they know that they themselves are not going to make it, they will do everything in their power to make sure that craft does not compromise other civilians or, you know, that, and that is something that is inspiring. Um, so I guess in some cases, sometimes some of the UFO knots within them will do everything they can to try and steer away from the general public yeah. because they have the task of being ripped to pieces yeah. or can as uh, te- as um Don Seidenberg uh, told me from America, cannibalize the craft. Yeah. <laughs> I love the word, cannibalize the craft. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I know there's been a few military aircraft that have crashed, haven't there? And they've, you, they've obviously steered away from uh, populated areas yeah. and buildings and whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the, there will be fatalities in any form of technology, you know, whatever's used. And and going back to that technology, David, I mean, you know, there is the, you know, some people say, you know, the, these greys are time travellers. Well, I'm not disputing that, mm. but I... Well, who knows? My, we don't know, do we? We don't know. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I think that my own personal opinion is that much of many of them are interdimensional. So, yeah, do, so. Uh, this may explain why they appear one second and then just go out like a light mm. the second. I mean, to so, be honest, any theory is valid because nobody knows. No, that's right. But, you know, I've, I'm, I, I, know, I know that sometimes I've been attacked for my theory, but 
I'm like, I'm cool with it. I'm like, that's okay. You have your opinion. I respect that you don't believe that. But let's just bring the pieces to the table. I mean, I'm, I'm very open with all forms of speculation. You know, most of them are physical craft, but maybe they're able to change or completely, sorry, change the configuration or the construction of that craft mm. by turning it into almost energy before they, you know, build themselves back up into our reality. Because if you're going to cross space, which I don't think that most of them do, I think they're crossing dimensional uh, uh, space. So, you know, th this is something we have to look into. Yeah. Uh, well, also, going along that theory, do you remember the um, George Adamski um, picture, the photograph of the, the, the craft that he was supposed to have taken? That actually, now, that actually yeah. looks distorted, doesn't it? It looks like it's going into a distorted state of some sort. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. And as you know, I've examined that. And I, I'm not, you know, I have to be very careful with my words here. I'm, I'm not claiming that uh, everything that Adamski had, had experienced was real. But certainly that film footage was something that really interested a lot of uh, scientists because in that small footage that he'd taken, the craft is actually changing shape, mm. and there does be heat emanating from around its structure. So, you know, we can't always write everyone off as a, as a nut or a sensational seeker if they've brought something to the table. Now, what's interesting is that um, another so-called contactee had also um, taken some film footage of UFOs, yet the, the photographs that he started taking later were very dubious. So we have to be very careful. But certainly Adamski's uh, beamship um, was very interesting. Um, and certainly, you know, before we throw everything out the window, we have to be very careful and, and look at things, you know. Yeah. So in a careful way, we don't know if some people could have been set up um, to be debunked. Um, so this is another area that we have to be careful of, because if someone's too close to the truth, you'll bet your bottom dollar there'll be someone in the system who'll be ready to bring them down a peg or two, yeah, as, sure. as we know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that probably um, George Adamski may well have seen something, been involved in something, and... Then something, you know, then, then things stop and they, you, you feel kind of responsible to keep producing something, you know, yes, and I, then you start, yeah. you, you, then you get onto the, onto the thing of uh, exaggerating things, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely, David. I mean, the thing is, if, if there were some other people involved, I mean, he, he did hang around with some high people, mm. but, you know, if, if he was forced to continue this story, um, or to promote to the general public, um, in order to, you know, carry this this theme forward that they're wonderful, loving spacemen when they're anything but, um, then, of course, you know, some people are going to slip up and make some mistakes. But, you know, as I said within the book, uh, we have to look at both sides of the story. You know, it's all very quick because if you put something up today on uh, a lot of the news that you see, if it's put up, sorry, AOL, for instance, and other networks, I mean, a lot of it's fake news. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they, they're getting the public riled up and the public will feed that into their uh, neurological processing and they'll they'll believe it. Then they'll read something else. So we can see that there's a systematic control to you know, confuse and confound the general public. In the back in the 50s, the only way that that could be done with is newspapers, radio, or through public appearances. 
Um, today it's generated on a larger scale. And this is something else that I wanted to draw emphasis on, David, with regards to the controlling factor with the higher echelons who govern behind, you know, closed doors, rather like the, um, you know, the uh, the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, yeah. who was controlling it. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> the cabal. So I believe that there is an orchestrated system in place that watches people, um, a lot of people. And, of course, we've got that today. I think the system knows a lot more about us than we know about ourselves. Mm. And the system so very much aware of those people that is they are involved in exotic subjects. And if they start digging around, um, they, the system keeps an eye on them. And I think on a conscious level, David, um, I've often wondered this, is because the system wants most people to stay within their pens. The system wants them to work to not ask any questions, to pay their taxes, do as they're told, and then die. But a lot of those people, um, the herd, as they call us, which is absolutely disgusting, um, I think a lot, you know, those people who do look outside the box are a threat to the system. And I think the system, and I know the system keeps an eye on those individuals. So, Mm. for instance, we have this control now um, with the YouTube networks and uh, people are now starting to smell a rat because they're saying, well, you know, if someone's not allowed to voice their opinions, their own opinions, how on earth can anything related to the UFO phenomena be a threat to sure, society? Yeah. yeah, it seems like that uh, freedom of speech is gradually disappearing, isn't it? Well, that's right, you know, and, you know, Martin Luther King, God love him, you know, he said it all, didn't he? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when you get people trying to be suppressed and silenced and controlled, as his people were, um, you begin to, and he became a problem for the uh, the state, mm. uh, the system, as I call it. So they had to get rid of yeah, him. Yeah, sure. Um, and and I think now it's so large that you know it will be too suspicious if a lot of UFO researchers or paranormal investigators went missing. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> um, we see a lot of so, this with David Icke. I mean, love him or hate him, people out there. Um, why is he being suppressed? You know. Well, you know. We won't mention that word that we're not meant to mention here on this program today because that gets people into all sorts of problems with the current climate of what's going on around the world. But I believe that, you know, I like the guy. My brother and I have always had respect for David Icke and I have... Yeah, we I don't do. Have I, bat- I like him and I, I've got a great respect for his... I mean, I, I, if you'd have asked me maybe five, six, seven years ago, maybe I had a different opinion because I didn't know anything about him. You no, know? well, he's a copy of his new book that came out or the one before this one he sent us me and ronald is a copy of his new book which which i have here but one of the things is that most people used to take the mickey out of david Icke. Mm. now i read the first book i read of his was called a brilliant book called the robots rebellion mm. um i think it was called the robots rebellion um and i loved it because i thought god this this guy's on my page but i think what's happened is that you can see what happened with him. They, if you saw the uh, newspapers and also the pictures of him on the internet, without going into what we, what it was all about, but they made him look like he was sweating and his eyes were wide. So they tried to make him look to the public like a madman. Yeah. But then again, he's he, been, if he's been on the stage for five hours, you would sweat a bit. 
Yeah, no, the, yeah, but the, the photographs that were put in the photo, the papers to debunk him and to, to bring him down through the latest, uh, you know, what was going on, he's been banned. But the picture they used of him was to make him look like he was a madman. Yeah. And this is what the system wants with the media, especially. They, 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 will, they won't take a, a really smart picture of him. Oh, of he's a not. smart looking guy. Well, you see it they so, get... so often, don't you? If you want to make, if you yeah. want to have a go at somebody, you can find, you know, make him look fat or thin or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, you, there's always bad pictures of everybody. Yeah, most of the picture, but they will use in order to get their message across to the public to address a certain individual who has crossed the line. They will use a very bad picture or a crazy picture yeah. to say, "Look, look, look at this person. Look how look how they're looking." So the whole thing is a psychological program, and you know, and, and, and as I said, there's no way of fighting the system. The only way that we can do that is everyone put everything down and stop what they're doing. But most people won't do that, and and they they will do as as to they will do as they're being told as to be told. But as I said. You know, I believe that a lot of researchers, as well as David Icke, are putting the dots together, and um, and I think the system doesn't like it. And that is growing, isn't it? Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot more people waking up now. Oh yeah, I mean, conscious rebellion. At the end of the day, I think consciousness has been suppressed, suppressed for so many years and controlled, not now by orthodox religion, which was one of the biggest factors of how that was controlled through fear and control, but now through technology. And I think most people are beginning to become consciously aware that they've, that there's something wrong and they're starting to split away from the uh, normal controlled processing of, you know, you will do this, you will do that. And the system uses fear all the time. It's created this base of fear, like, oh, you know, mm. this is going to happen to you, or that's going to happen to you. So do as we say, we'll look after you. But really, they're not. All they're doing is sucking us dry as uh, slaves to the system. You know, you get a pat on the back or a, a medal stuck on your, your chest. Job well done. Keep quiet. Carry on. But really, I think a lot of things are changing, and I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that this is not the world that we want to be in, mm. that, you know, we are not free, we are slaves. Yeah. I mean, Unless, of course, you're... As I say, going on the fear factor, we, we then end up in the with the reptilians, don't we? Because they seem to thrive on fear. The, yeah, that is, a, that, that is a very interesting subject. And you see, with David Icke many, many years ago, People were laughing at him, but I don't think many of them laughing now. We are under the we are under the understanding that if we go all the way back, and this this is gonna you know this is another story altogether. Mm. If we go back into antediluvian cultures, and and even for instance in the book that I'm writing at the moment, was that uh, reptilians were actually reported back then and throughout history. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> and and this is something that orthodox science has tried to denounce and this is why we get this whole problem with history being written in a certain way and of you know archaeologists and all sorts of people have made these amazing discoveries and they're told to be quiet because it doesn't fit the official narrative now the reptilians are very interesting and people will laugh and joke and say oh no but yes um there are some not I'm not saying all of them are that uh, this way, but there are some who I think are able to influence the um, psychic or auric energy of uh, an individual. And notice how a lot of the people at the top of the symbolic pyramid, the rich bankers, and not just them, but many other um, very rich and powerful people 
all seem to be connected in a you know in this one man club yeah. so they all look out for each other and and it could be that these reptilians are influencing their their plans upon the mindset of the individual puppet that they're using. We know that through um, psychic exploration, uh, demons and possession are very real. Poltergeists are very real. And and that's a, a, an area um, with regards to clairvoyance that I understand. But, you know, if you can use, you can have your mind opened. And if you start to um, become greedy, corrupt or controlling, you are able to allow other entities or energies into that system of yours where they are you know they start to control or influence your thinking so it's a very complex subject it's, my brother knows more about the reptilians than i do um i'm 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 more linked with the greys not that i know anything about the greys i can only base my uh, um, work on theoretical application but certainly the reptilians are real i had seen them on that ship three of them they didn't communicate it was the most horrible feeling ever i'd had um, and I saw another one when I was having healing, but he seemed like a nice guy and people were laughing. I even didn't know how to take it, but he looked quite as smart. I was just having some healing many, many years ago from a lady called Maureen. And I was laying on my back looking up and all of a sudden it was the most astounding thing ever. I saw this reptilian. I th thought it was male. It looked quite well built. Its face was like a T-Rex. It had blue eyes, though, and it wore a one piece black uniform with mandarin collar and it had an emblem on its left breast mm. but i can't my brother's always said can you i said no i can't i can only report what i saw i can't remember what the emblem looked like but he seemed to me like one of the good guys yeah, yeah. just that they come from they must come from different places then if they've got different agendas well, I mean, it's like us as humans. I mean, if we if we split the planet into parts where the countries are, we are ostensibly alien to those other those cultures. Yeah. So it is conceivable to assume that we're not dealing with one aspect. You see, going back into the uh, anti-Tavillian cultures, you know, we thought that the Earth was the only planet within the universe. We now found, find that that is wrong, and um, religion has had to change with that. Um, and how many other things are we going to find that is wrong? So I believe that we could be, a, you know, an open door for many spectres, many beings, many um, intelligences. So although within my work, I um, apply my theoretical analysis on a certain faction of the grace, it does not encompass all of them, David. It is only a part of oh, that puzzle. Yeah. Well, also, this thing about I was going to say earlier when you were talking about uh, clairvoyancy uh, some some people saying it's not real i mean you're going to get a big shock aren't you being a clairvoyant if you find it's not real one day <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i as i i will tell you that when you use the word clairvoyant it's put in a box and people say oh we talk to the dead well no i don't talk to the dead they just send me their signaling that there's coming from their dimension so my job is to unscramble that signaling as proof of their existence and i pass it on to the individual that i I'm reading for there is no magic involved and this is something unique to humans that's been shut down by the system we serve mm. you see technology now is is in our inability to feel and to think for ourselves i believe that these abilities we all have but has been programmed to remain dormant um, because systematically we are told that you know the brain is just uh, an organ and it controls the body and your consciousness is in there when in actual fact consciousness is around everything it surrounds everything like george lucas's uh, the force you know mm. the energy 
that permits all life and uh, beyond. So, you know, clairvoyance is something that I'm interested in, uh, studying its application, um, and also the fact that there's more to us than just flesh and blood. And I think that what we may be dealing with is uh, something that's linked with UFOs with the soul, survival, and also for a, a war, maybe a warring faction that's been going on for yeah. a very, very long time. And I think that's building up to something bigger as well, the, the, way, the way things are going. Yes, silent war. Mm. They said in the exiles, the war to end all wars. But at the end of the day, it's a war that we can't see because it remains invisible to us. And I believe that this is something we are seeing at the moment, David, where UFOs now are able to appear on infrared, but not to the naked eye um, through technology. Sometimes some people take pictures of them and they turn up after the picture has been taken without the observer seeing it. Yeah, sure. So we can see that, you know, a lot of this is making us open our eyes to a wider spectrum of uh, theoretical debate. Hmm. I know I could we could actually go on, but I know you've got to get on. Um, I just wanted to say before we, we sort of wind up, Philip, um, is your show Twin Souls coming back to PA UK? Yes, we, we, yeah, it's coming back in August. We, we, we were very unwell and we'd gone through quite a difficult time, my twin and I, and we literally it was it was not a nice time so yeah. we've decided that we um and the channel has graciously um you know the lovely irene allen and mark johnson god love him and steven scalaris and they've they've allowed us to bring it back um in august and we have some guests lined up i know kathy Marden is going to come back on for us for another Excellent. show and, yeah. and some other guests lined up for the program so that will be coming back in august yes so, so everyone out there twin souls will be back so yeah yes, so, yes. so that's something to look forward to excellent yes and uh, you're very welcome david and i and i hope that people will find you the public deceived the grand ufo yes. deception um interesting i know that it's being published later this year philip mental um from flying disc press and by the way if you want to you know, see his books. Um, he's a flying disc play, flying disc press, and he's he publishes the most amazing books that you won't get in the mainstream shops. So basically, he just you know he sources all these authors and they bring out their theories. And um, he's an, a wonderful guy. Love him to death. Um, and he's been a great inspiration also to the work that we've been doing. So you, the public, to see the grandeur of deception will be out uh, later this yeah. year. And I will actually put links to that on my Paranormal Dimensions page as well. So uh, so look out for that. But it's, it's got some fantastic artwork in it. Uh, and it's, yes. uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting book altogether. It's, uh, Thank you. I think if you want like a general view of what's been happening in ufology and the cover-ups over the over the years, that's the one to get actually. Thank you so much. And as I said, it was a it's a labour of love. There were a few parts that I found. Oh my lord, how am I going to get through this? <laughs> yeah. But we, any any author's nightmare is like where where is it going? And then of course it seemed to structure itself after a while. Um, and I think any researcher or author will have this, will be honest if they're very honest, they have the same problems sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but it was a lovely book and it's, I, I think, you know, very illustrated. And, um, so I'm very, I'm very delighted with the final product, David. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely book. I'm very honoured to have a little, um, mention in it. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's you right. You are welcome, sir. <laughs> That's nice. And also good luck with your new book, Guardians of the Dead, which you're working on. 
Yes, thank you very much. And then I shall be working on Visitors from the Void, which will be another exploration of the greys in a, in, a, in a very, very detailed uh, way. So I've got some things lined up for that. And um, so that will be a real, real deep book. Um, so I'm looking forward to working on that when I finished uh, Guardians of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, I've got lots to look forward to. And I'm looking forward to seeing you and Ronald and, and, and your lovely mum uh, as, as yeah, soon as we yeah. can get out of jail. Yeah, well, with the, the, the trio, we'll be fine, you know. <laughs> so, um, I, I think it's great. And we're looking forward to seeing you and Jill and uh, your pooches as well. Yeah. So I just want to thank you so much, David, for having me on your program. And, um, and I'm very honoured that you're able to, you know, help uh, push the book a little bit, um, you know, in, when it comes out. Absolutely. I should do my, my utmost to uh, do what I can. Philip and uh, thank, you. thank you so much for coming on the show it's uh, been a great pleasure as always and uh, it's, it's always a great pleasure talking to you Philip it's not it's nothing nothing difficult in it at all <laughs> oh bless you well I you know as I said you know I could talk for England but I hopefully come out with some some good ideas I you know yeah, well, I'd, uh, I'd actually hang on to you and make you talk for, for another hour or so but I know you've got things to do so <laughs> <laughs> lovely wonderful and and also i want to thank all of your for you david as well for bringing your wonderful paranormal dimensions to the uh public's attention and also to all the listeners who are listening and i and my message to you all to all of you is please believe in your truths and stay with that truth and you know watch the skies uh, on that note thank you very much philip that's a uh, amazing final words thank you and i'll see you soon thanks philip Thank you, David. You take care of yourself. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Right, you've been listening to Paranormal Dimensions. I'm David Young on the PAUK radio network, and uh, thanks for listening, and uh, tune in again next week. Thank you. If it does turn out to be alien, it's such a game-changing, paradigm-shifting revelation that the, the, the impact, the consequences, are almost incalculable. And... That being the case, you have to take it seriously. Paranormal Dimensions is as bright and powerful as our celestial star, the Sun. And although it's expending thousands of pounds of energy every minute of the day, have no fear. There's plenty left. Dimensions is a regular feature on Mondays on the Paranormal UK radio network.